Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through um, uh, James Anderson's book, Why Should I Believe Christianity? That's right. right. And we're in chapter four. He's been giving us various arguments for why we should believe that God exists. Right. Basically, he says we really can't know anything. We really don't have any values or morality if God doesn't exist. Right. That's that's what he's been getting at in this chapter. And so now we've worked our way to the portion of this chapter where he's talking about reason, God and reason. Right. And uh, he says that critics of religion often pride themselves on their rationality. Right. And that, uh, you know, they like to cast the, the debate in terms of reason versus faith. Right. right. But he says, in reality, there's no conflict between reason and belief in God. For You know, there are excellent reasons, he tells us, to believe in God. 2,000 right? years of church history. We haven't thought of anything before new, th- new atheism That's came right. about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at this point, he wants he says that uh, he wants to make a, a more provocative claim. Right. Not that they're excellent reasons to believe that, that uh, in God, but our very ability to reason presupposes the existence of God. Right. right? So we, what, what you're saying is you can't reason if you don't believe in God. No, that's not what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm saying is the ability to reason presupposes the existence of God. Oh, okay. So I'm not making what might be called an epistemological claim about my beliefs. I'm making a metaphysical or an ontological claim about the existence, where they come from, their source, that sort of thing. A right? very important distinction that yeah. always gets lost in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> so just as we take for granted our ability to make meaningful moral judgments, so we take for granted our ability to reason. And this is absolutely true. Uh, you know, you, if, if, uh, if uh, you're a kid and you're, you're wanting that cookie, you're, you're thinking, <laughs> okay, if I take the cookie now, I'll take the punishment. And so you weigh those options. Well, no. So sometimes you just go for the cookie, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but the, there's some some concept of, of even there of oh I I I remember the making some determinations, some discriminating between various right. choices and the consequences and right. that sort of thing. Yeah, right. yeah. and so, how good the cookies is going to taste, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whether or not my backside can uh, re- resist the, the the cookies. So uh, so it takes for granted our ability to reason to judge between truth and falsehood, to extend our knowledge of the world using uh, logical inferences and evaluation of evidence, and decide what's reasonable and what's unreasonable. All this seems to be taken for granted. Again, and, uh, we talked about uh, Mitch Stokes last time, and of course we keep bringing him up because he did such a good job of saying uh, the, the very fact that we trust in our reason alone, the, the ability that we can reason, how, how, how can we... In this, uh, you know, ever-changing, evolutionary, designed, uh, designed, uh, small d uh, 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 universe. How 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 can we even assume that what yeah. we reason gives us truth, or gives us uh, accuracy, or uh, continues to to be re- relied upon in the future? Right, and so that's exactly what Anderson here is going to double down on that right. same issue that we saw with regard to Mitch Stokes. Yes. He says, no other species uh, on this planet has the ability to reason as we do. Or at least they haven't been telling us. That's right. (laughs) Not only are we able to reason, we're also able to recognize and reflect our ability to reason, Mm. right? We We can reason about reason, (laughs) right, itself, right? Then reason about the reason that we reason? In fact, that's what we're doing right now, right? Reasoning about reason. Turtles all the way down. (laughs) (laughs) So he asked, you know, how then can we account for this truly remarkable human ability, the indispensable, you know, feature of our lives, we might say, right? 
Well, once again, he says that we can find that the Christian worldview makes excellent sense of this obvious fact. The ultimate reality is a rational reality, right? And so God is the supreme intellect. Uh, since God is both perfect and personal, he knows he, and understands all truths. But more than that, he knows and understands how every truth is related to every other truth. Mm -hmm. right? And so what this means is that our universe has its source in a rational mind. Mm. Right? So that's how we're able to. Right? That's why you that's need a mind yeah. out, there, out there in the universe. <laughs> so just as human morality finds its source and explanation in God's absolute goodness, so human rationality finds its source and explanation in God's absolute intelligence. Mm. Despite the uh, pretensions of atheists to have a reason on their side, the leading atheistic worldview naturalism faces great difficulties in counting for accounting for our rational faculties. Not saying that atheists can't be smart, they can't be rational, that they can't, uh, find A plus B equals B plus you know A. It's it's the very fact that it's accounting for it. Yeah. So so again, and this is the same distinction that we talked about earlier, right? We're not saying that atheists can't know anything, right? That would be an epistemological claim. Uh, an epistemological claim. What what we're saying is, how do they account for that? Right. For knowing right. the, the the capacity of the knowing and that sort of thing, right? right? Just just in the same way that your your great-great-grandmother who's uh, never been in school a day in her life has, doesn't know about the laws of logic or the law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, can still reason. Yeah, yeah. And so the question is, where does it come from? What's the source of rationality? Right. Right? <clears throat> so the, the central problem can simply be said, naturalism is committed to the idea that reason came from Unreason. Oh, so that's where it came right. from. That's just, the source of it. Just What's appeared. the source for naturalism? What's the source of reason? Non-reason. Right. So there was this little dot, <laughs> and it had all the matter in the universe. They exploded one day, and yeah. reason was just in there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, yeah. and then eventually right. it came out. In behind yeah. Jupiter, flung off. That's right. There, there and we're fortunate that something, when it was squiggling out, didn't smash yeah. and kill it. Whew, good. I'm glad it infected us with <laughs> yeah. reason. So the physical universe as such doesn't have a mind. It doesn't have an intellect or any rational faculties. At the beginning of time, the universe was just a highly compressed lump of matter, and lumps of matter have no thoughts at all. Never mind rational thoughts. All right. Put, put, put your pet rock in the middle mm -hmm. of the floor. Some odd reason it doesn't do, uh, you know, uh, rational calculations That's of, right. of right. uh, you know, uh, what it's like to be a, a turtle. <laughs> it's yeah. just a rock. And uh, the lumps of matter have no thoughts at all, never mind rational thoughts. So the naturalist has to believe that rational beings arose out of uh, entirely non-rational materials and processes. So, so again, we have a, here's the rock, the lump of rock from their perspective. And out of that lump of rock, we'll call it Earth. Okay, rationality somehow rolls, right? And now here we are. It evolved, right? evolved yeah. upwards. There's <laughs> there's branching factors. Yeah, there there could have been uh, the, the law of contradiction, but it, it didn't win out. It, it unfortunately it just didn't survive. Uh, it, it it only had two feet instead of four. Uh, you know, it, it 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 still had gills, and eventually the law of non contradiction won the one, day. Oh, that's right. Won out. It, it evolved and became it survived. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was the fittest yeah. law. You right? should thank your ancestors for. <laughs> so the most common explanation offered by naturalists is, uh, as we have just described, an evolutionary one. Right. We humans gradually developed the ability to reason over millions of years by processes of natural selection and so forth and so on. So our reasons then give us a clear survival advantage, right? That's what the argument is. The reason that we reason is because it allows us to survive, 
right? We've evolved this way so that we have a survival uh, value. And so reason then gives us a survival value. And so the problem is, Anderson is going to suggest, mm-hmm. is that this explanation faces several formidable objections, right? And uh, if, if you'd like to know more about these objections too, we also did cover a lot of them uh, with Mitch Stokes. So mm. uh, you can go back, uh, How to Be an Atheist was his book, and um, I'll include kind of just the general playlist, and you can uh, find your individual files that you want there. So uh, here, here are some of the issues. First, only conscious beings can reason, but there's no good evolutionary expo- explanation for how physical processes alone could produce conscious minds, minds at all. Right. Like you're just a brain, right? You you have you have chemicals that go off. That that's it, and you can kind of manipulate them yourself, but you can really manipulate them with drugs. So that's probably just the yeah, best so, way. So, but that just you know that just you can still push it back. So, how do chemicals reason? Oh, yep, there you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, what kind of reasoning power do chemicals have? Right, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll find it eventually. Yeah. Just have faith, trust the science. But there's another strike against the naturalist uh, evolutionary account. Most of the organisms on this planet survive and reproduce perfectly well and far more efficiently than humans, granted, yeah. w- without the slightest ability to reason. Amazing, right? Yeah. So there are organisms like, let's say, bacteria that Ooh. are probably better able to survive than we are. And for all we know, they've never told us anyway. Right. They don't reason. Yeah. Right? Simple cell organisms. And so if it's no. about, you know, uh, survival, uh, you re- do you really need reason for survival? Yeah. Right? Uh, obviously not, right? And so that's the point he's trying to make here, right? The issue here is if evolution is driven by natural selection, as Darwin's theory dictates, then evolution doesn't care a whit for what an organism believes or doesn't believe, right. right? It only cares about the organism's behavior so that they can survive in the particular environment. So from an evolutionary perspective, it doesn't matter whether an organism has true beliefs, false beliefs, no beliefs at all. As long as the organism can effectively preserve and pass on its genes, that's all you know. the evolutionary process is focused on. So evolution, he tells us, isn't truth directed right right it's only survival direct mm-hmm. right, right. <clears throat> but our faculty of reason is truth directed. so reason is <laughs> directed towards truth that's what it, that's what reasoning is all about here, here's right? the problem yeah. the, the thing that we're looking at is actually the opposite of that <laughs> the very purpose of reason is to guide us towards truth that, that's right. what we do it doesn't yeah. guide us towards just survival you know we, we uh, you know i was used the example of the snake in the grass and you liking horror movies uh you know it you you can you can reason that oh uh, you know this this is the possibility of a snake in the grass but you can also just as reason well i sent my dog out there he's coming back it's it's my dog right. so uh, you know if it's just about survival then you should just run away from everything right. we right. shouldn't like horror movies at all <laughs> So what's more, uh, humans possess many higher intellectual powers, such as the capacity to understand advanced calculus, music theory, poetry, and philosophy, and none of which confer any obvious advantage when it comes to biological survival and reproduction, the driving forces of evolution. Now, I might take issue with philosophy, right? <laughs> you, may, you may need philosophy in order to survive, but I, I agree with him with regard to music theory, right? I mean, you know, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know the best singer doesn't always, though, is the one that, you know, gets... <laughs> 
to reproduce. Right. Let's say, although sometimes, it, right? It, it, it was very hard to uh, to to be your poet or musician in uh, in <laughs> Stalinism. So, uh, you know, the, the driving force of, of evolution is uh, uh, survive and and uh, don't starve your people. That the, that that's really the, the the main survival advantage there. <laughs> So either what we come down to is kind of a, a dilemma here, right? Either evolution is truth directed or it's not truth directed, right? right? Uh, if evolution isn't truth directed, then the naturalist has no basis for assuming that his intellectual faculties can be trusted to guide him towards truth, right? Uh, you know, in which case, you know, he ought to doubt the truth of his own beliefs, including his belief in naturalism, right? right? So if it's, if it's not truth directed, then how do you know that what you believe is indeed the truth. Well, you can't, mm -hmm. right? That's the point here, right? So you can't even know that naturalism is true, right? <laughs> right? right. But if evolution is, some, is somehow truth-directed, well, then we have to wonder why most people today are religious, he tells us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, this is my thing with with uh, Dawkins and the like, uh, uh, you know, the God delusion. Well, at one point in time, uh, uh, re religion conveyed uh, survival advantage to the species. Well, it goes to follow that it still conveys that um, that survival aspect. Right. So Dawkins is trying to kill humanity by writing his books and right. we should stop him at any cost. <laughs> he's right. trying to take down our society and our species we're here. Yeah. And so, so the issue is, you know, uh, you know, why has evolution tended to favor beliefs which, according to naturalists, are so radically out of step, right, with what reality right. is all about, right? right? And yet, you know, so you know, so that's the kind of the conundrum we might say that evolutionists find themselves in. Right. If if it's if it's uh, not truth directed, then why should they believe it? If it is truth directed. Anderson says, well, then why do so many people believe the truth that, re that religion is true mm -hmm. or believe that religion is true, right? right? <clears throat> so in the end, the crucial question is this. Which worldview gives us the most reasonable account of reason itself? One in which our reason has its source in a higher reason or one which our reason has its source in no reason at all? Seems it seems like he's uh, putting us uh, uh, at a, a simple path. Here. Yeah, that's right. So either the source is higher reason. Or the source is no reason, right? right? Yeah. So you choose. Right. <laughs> so in our variability to reason d depends on God. Nothing could be more contrary to reason than denying God. Mm -hmm. So why should I believe Christianity? Because reason. That's right. Because of reason. Right. right. Yeah. And it'd be contrary to reason not to. Right. Right. All right. So that's, uh, you know, so he's given us values. We've looked at moral values and uh, we've looked at reason. Uh, for reasons to believe yeah. in God, right? Uh, now he wants to move to this whole idea of mind, which we have kind of alluded to a couple of times already, right? God in mind. He says each moment we're subject to all kinds of vivid, multifaceted conscious experiences of the world, right? Um, not to mention thousands, he says, of complex internal thought processes, well, right? Breathe, breathe, digest food, digest food, <laughs> think, think, push, push organs. Okay, right. all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm good now. I'm yeah. good now. Got, all right, all right. <laughs> he says all of this is possible only because we possess a conscious mind distinct from our physical body. Hmm. Indeed, we're not merely a conscious being. We're a self-conscious being, right? Uh, we're conscious of our own consciousness. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the ideas that I like to, to think about, um, uh, Eric Hernandez, who's a, a Christian philosopher, he, he says, uh, 
uh, we have the ability to play a guitar. And if uh, some of the strings on the guitar are, are broken, it's not that we lost the ability to play the guitar. So we've lost the ability to convey music using the guitar. Mm. So just because you can affect physical parts that uh, affect how you interact with the world in some capacity doesn't mean that you don't have a, a mind or a soul or, or you know, what, whatever we might uh, term it to, to interact with it. We just lost our interacting capabilities. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if we're able to, um, you know, uh, reflect um, <laughs> on our thoughts, right, on our own conscious experience, and we're able to think about our own thinking process, right. which is the point he's trying to make, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what does any of this have to do with God? We're just <laughs> minds. That's fine. Good. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. It yeah. just arose and water from, or wetness from water that you just, you just have. Well, the argument that uh, that Anderson wants to develop in this section was hinted at in previous sections where he argued the reason itself is reason to believe in God. There is a close connection between mind and reason. A mind is a prerequisite for a reason. Where does reason come from? It must come from a mind. We say the ultimate uh, um, uh, uh, mind. No, it produce... comes from chemicals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> ultimate chemicals. That's right. <laughs> so only beings with minds have the ability to reason. Essentially, that's the argument. And because reasoning necessarily involves beliefs and ideas. Reasoning requires thoughts, and thoughts exist only in minds. Furthermore, minds exhibit consciousness, which offers a distinctive first-person's perspective of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So the fact that we have conscious minds uh, <clears throat> in another thing is another thing that we take for granted. Right, yeah. us, right? As we evaluate competing worldviews, it's worth asking this question then. How did we come to possess the minds that we have? Right. And sometimes when you're talking to people, you're like, is, is this person a mind or am I, is this the, the, the simulation? Sometimes. Yeah. And, and of course you could take that, that question wrong. Right. When you ask the person, how did you come to have the mind that you have? Right? <laughs> right. Are you we out of your mind? Careful. Yeah, right. <laughs> he says, uh, you know, indeed it's, it's, uh, it's that there are any conscious minds within the physical universe, right? That's the issue, right? How is it? How issue. is that the case? Consciousness right? is a big issue. Yeah. yeah. So according to the worldview of naturalism, matter precedes mind. So again, for naturalism, matter comes first, big bang, small thing, explodes uh, from nothing, uh, produces everything. Uh, We kind of uh, rile ourselves up through uh, uh, non-life, non-life suddenly produces life. So matter produces then the mind. The difficulty for naturalism is that it's very hard to conceive how minds could arise out of purely material processes. It seems like something non-complex is forming very complex things like a mind. seems like if you rub two rocks together, no matter how long you rub it, no matter how much lightning strikes it, no much, how much goo is produced from uh, an oxygen-rich environment, uh, uh, you know, consciousness isn't suddenly going to rise. Maybe. Uh, we, you know, we, we haven't done grand testing before. Uh, conscious minds have a, a very distinctive features, such as a first-person's subjective perspective of the world and a capacity for thoughts, feelings, and experiences. A mind must hold those things. Such features are so thoroughly different from physical properties, such as mass, energy, size, that there seems to be a fundamental discontinuity between the mental and the physical. Mm. Oh, this is hot. Okay, there are nerves that that are sending signals, and I should just, you know, think 
um, uh, oh, I should move my hand away because this is hot. No, I experienced the, the physical pain of yeah, it and yeah. the hotness of it. Yeah, pain is, uh, is in the mind. <laughs> yeah, I have a headache. Prove yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Prove that you have a headache. There's pain in that fire right there. How do I know? Well, I stuck my finger in it. Yeah, well, it, it just has properties of pain <laughs> in it, and you're just, you're just transferring the, the property of pain to you. So what he tells us is that the naturalists will often appear to uh, appeal rather to evolution to explain our advanced mental capacities. Sure. Right? Yeah. They'll argue that possessing a conscious mind gives an organism an evolutionary advantage and a more sophisticated mind offers an even greater advantage. Thus, evolution can explain, at least in broad terms, how our remarkable minds came into existence. Right. QED or whatever. Right? <laughs> he says, this sounds plausible until you recognize a basic flaw in the argument. Well, what is it? Naturalistic evolution cannot explain how consciousness appeared in the first place. Right? Evolutionary forces can only operate on things that already do exist. Right? So evolution is for things that already exist, quite frankly. Natural selection can only force a conscious uh, organism uh, over a non-conscious one if a conscious organism is there for it to favor. Otherwise, it can't favor one over the other, right? right? You, you can't say, well, you know, it, the, the conscious mind was fit for the particular environment, right? But the question is, where'd the conscious mind come from? Right. You got to have that to work on it first to have it fit for a particular right. environment. It's like my, my, my silly example of there's the law of contradiction versus the law of non-contradiction. They, they're, both, they're both there and one just wins out. One, one hits the, uh, uh, the other one over the head with a rock and the, the other one didn't feel it. So, right. so it died and it, it's better to, to feel the, the, the rock bashing your skull than to, to not for some odd reason. <laughs> oh, reason. Uh, for some odd mind. That's right. <laughs> so uh, worldviews which imply that rational conscious minds develop late in the history of the universe as the chance outcome of purely material processes face some very serious philosophical challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the Christian worldview isn't one of them. However, since it affirms that mind precede matter, not human minds, of course, but God's mind. Right. Why should I believe Christianity? God has mind. That's right. You have a mind. It, mind arose from mind. That's right. And so, not our mind, but God's mind. Right. right. So yeah. there, there's, there, there needs to be some perfect mind out there. So God is an external, self-existent, transcendent, personal being with a mind. And not just any mind, but an okay, so-so. It, it falters <laughs> yeah, every right. once in a be while. Be careful of lightning. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a mind that must be perfect, absolute, and infinite mind. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And again, this, is, this isn't just taking qualities of the Christian God and saying, oh, this is what philosophy must be like. This is also saying, here's what philosophy should entail, and we're... Uh, matching them up to the the best uh, yeah. uh, worldview that explains those things. Right. So we're saying this is what reality is like. Right. It has to be like. And so what is the best worldview that explains the way that we know reality has to be like? Right. right. So God created humans with minds as well as bodies. Not only can we physically manipulate the universe with our bodies, but we can think about the universe with our minds. So this view of the universe and our place in it has some profoundly important implications, he tells us, Right. And so here's one of them, because the material and mental aspects of the universe both have their source in God. Notice we can have confidence that our minds are fitted to understand the physical universe, which is one of the most basic assumptions of science, mm -hmm. right? Because God created both our minds and the world that we live in, then there is some congruency, we might say, between our mind 
and the physical world. And so it allows us to understand the universe. And therefore, we can do science, which is his next Ooh, subject. Right? That's a good, good lead-in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, God and science. Science is uh, an indisputably wonderful thing. Uh, again, uh, us Christians, we, we don't just leave science at the door of the, the, the church altar or wherever, you know wherever right. we're supposed to leave it. We bring it in with us because it's a... And uh, an outward expression of of, of God, uh, you know, it's 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 how we interact with the world, how we know things about the world. Uh, it's a, a tool, um, all, all those uh, good things, and so we're able to use it for uh, God's glory. So it's a wonderful thing. All of us benefit daily in thousands of ways from advancements of science, whether we recognize it or not. Atheists who claim to have reason on their side will often insist they also have science on their side too. He's going to argue that science is only possible because. Oh, well, it just happens. No, no, I hate to break it to you. Because yeah, God. Right. Because God exists. In other words, the very existence and success of science depends on God. Again, God is a necessary being for all of these things. Yeah. So the question is, well, wait a minute, how does science depend on God, <laughs> right? And so he says, you know, it's rarely recognized that science rests on a whole host of philosophical assumptions, right. you know, about the universe and about human beings and that science itself can't justify these assumptions, right? And so no scientific experiment, for instance, can prove that these assumptions, uh, rather, uh, scientists have to take them for granted. So right. he's going to talk about a couple of these assumptions, yeah. right? The best way to do science is to <clears throat> science science. Oh, well, you can't do that. No. So unfortunately... <laughs> Fortunately, we can't know if science right. is the best science because we can't science it. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, so we're trapped, yeah, right? It just yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, obviously if these assumptions, and again, he's going to point out just a couple of them here, uh, were false, science itself would be uh, futile. Why in the world would we do it? Right. Right. So his, uh, his first one here is uh, that scientific work takes for granted the existence of objective moral values. So you have to it's all mixing together believe, here. <laughs> yeah, really, that moral values or at least assume that they exist in order to do science. How does that work? For example, scientists <laughs> have a moral duty to be thorough and careful in their research and to be honest and accurate when they publish the results. So they shouldn't lie. They shouldn't lie. Yeah, it would it's waste a lot of resources. It's not good science to lie, yeah. right? Right. Uh, <coughs> you know, here, here's here's my experiment that I did. It's going to cost you uh, three billion dollars. Don't worry, I, I put mine up, uh, and it's it's going to produce um, unlimited amounts of oil. That's right. uh, and so you just need mm. to spend three yeah. three three uh, well three trillion. Let's say three trillion to 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 do your version because I, I I had a head start, right. and so I, I I do the study and and people look at it and go, well, I, we got to spend $3 trillion on this. Yeah, that's oh. what the science says. Oh, see, he, he was just doing a social experiment, not right. one of those real experiments. <laughs> and so we just wasted it. No, that, that's one of the reasons why uh, people get in trouble for uh, falsifying their, yeah, their, fake, their data. faking their data. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, indeed, the whole uh, scientific enterprise is driven by a value judgment, namely that it's good to understand how the natural world so, operates. So, in order to, the, the, the whole motivation for science is, is is a value judgment, right? Why do we do science? What is it? Well, because we believe that it's a good thing to understand how the world works, right? right? That's a value judgment, right? That's a, that's a value judgment in terms of what science has to do. In fact, we could even argue it's a moral value judgment. Mm -hmm. right? science, doing, science is good for us, right? right? 
And that we ought to uh, pursue and promote truth and knowledge in the natural sciences. Right. Um, uh, there's a, a really good book that I'll provide a link. Uh, it's uh, Alex Epstein. He's a philosopher, and he uh, wrote a book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and he's got a, a second printing out. And he talks about how uh, kind of t- taking the natural world and and uh, what God tells us to do, kind of su- he's not a, a, a Christian philosopher, mind you. He's just uh, saying that it's good for humanity to conform the world so that we can use it. And there's the, the morality of human flourishing that is pinnacle above everything else. For and, him. Right. Well, <laughs> for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but, but he's saying, you know, it, it's, it, you can't just destroy the earth because right. that's also not moral for us to exist right. in a destroyed world. Right. And so right. he's just saying that, um, uh, f- Things like fossil fuels have been so demonized that we kind of think like, oh, oil, that's that's bad. But we derive a lot of benefit from that. So um, it was a really, really good book talking about value judgments within mm. that. Mm. So indeed, uh, the whole scientific uh, enterprise is driven by value judgment, namely that it's good to understand uh, the universe and how it operates. But as we argued earlier, atheism doesn't fit at all well with the idea of objective value judgments. Mm. So what do they do? Yeah. <laughs> well, science can only be pursued uh, by beings with higher intellects, he tells us, oh. and uh, and conscious minds. Minds? And, I think we already yeah, talked about that. Yeah. So we're, all of this Bring it, together, right? Mix it in a pot. Yeah. <laughs> and so with the ability to make, you know, the, these beings have to have the ability to make reliable observations of the physical world, rational inferences based on those observations, the whole scientific enterprise, right? Indeed, he says, science is founded on the assumption that our sensory uh, faculties, right, taste, touch, see, whatever, are equipped to give us accurate empirical information about the way the world is, right, right? The, the, the universe that we inhabit and that sort of thing. And he says it would be circular reasoning to use sensory faculties to prove the reliability and accuracy of sensory faculties, right? <laughs> right? How do I know my sensory faculties are reliable and accurate? Well, it's repeatable. That's right. Well, That's because it. of my sensory <laughs> faculties, oh, yeah. uh, facility, yeah. uh, faculties, right? Because <laughs> my sensory faculties have repeated themselves. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and so he says, uh, on what you know, rational basis then do scientists make the crucial assumption that their sensory factories, or faculties rather, are reliable and accurate? How do you, on what, what's the basis right, for that? Right. How do you how do you get outside that again yeah. uh, with a purely uh, solo physical uh, experience? Um, that's uh, that seems like a high hurdle. So scientific investigation uh, rests on two further assumptions. First, that uh, the universe is an orderly and rational place, and second, that the orderliness and rationality of the universe aligns with the orderly and rationality of our minds. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the things that are taking place out there are also happening in here. Mm-hmm. Or at con- least we can calculate them, right, with our minds, and we can therefore yeah. understand them with our minds, right? Right, right. So this is, uh, you know, uh, how, how, how do we know that we can um, uh, send a rocket to the, the moon, uh, you know, six different times? Uh, well, um, uh, we have to assume that, uh, the the universe maintains this this order this it's it's rational and that we can uh, repeatedly do uh, the the math and the science in order to get the rockets there and back again. Right. So the idea that our minds are equipped to discover and understand the basic laws of the universe rests on both of these assumptions. Why why do we believe that the universe can have discoverable truths in them and that we can discover them? Yeah. Is that 
Is that uh, a, a rational thing to, to, to we believe? We just have to assume it in order to do science. Right. If we didn't assume that, then why would we even try to <laughs> do, do science? science right? Right, right. I mean, there'd be no reason to do science if it was all wacky and chaotic and there was no orderliness and, you know, and it was irrational. Then why in the world would we do science? We have mm-hmm. to assume that, the, that it's orderly, it's rational in order for us to even begin to do science, right. right? But notice the science itself can't prove that nature is basically orderly and, right. and uniform, right? It's impossible for humans to directly observe the universe at every point in space and time. <clears throat> so we might say, well, here in this particular space, our solar system, <laughs> it seems to be orderly and, and uniform. <clears throat> Fine, but what about the rest of all the, you know, the galaxies yeah. and that sort of thing? Black holes. (laughs) Yeah. So it's impossible, he tells us, for humans to directly observe the universe at every point in space to to make these types of, uh, you know, determination. And by the way, it might be orderly right now, but what about 100 years from now Mm -hmm. or a million years from now? Will it still be like that? Right. Well, you know, it is now. (laughs) He tells us only God could know in advance that the universe is basically orderly and rational. God would know that, of course, because God would be responsible for it. Right. He arranged it that way. Mm -hmm. That's why he knows it. Right. Right. (laughs) Science rests on a host of philosophical assumptions, none of which science itself can prove. Yeah. So as a hard proof for uh, for scientism that that only science gives you um, truth. Uh, well, unfortunately, it can't prove itself. So, right. physician, heal thyself. <laughs> science, prove thyself. Not possible. Science can be no more rational than the foundations on which it stands. Yet, it's extremely difficult to rationally justify those foundational assumptions from an atheistic perspective. Mm. If the universe is a gigantic metaphysical accident with no rational mind directing or governing it, as atheists must believe. Why on earth should we assume that it operates in an orderly and rational fashion mm-hmm. or continues to do or right. has or will? You know, uh, maybe the universe is arranged in such a way that uh, yesterday it was chaotic, but it's rearranged your chemical processes to, to make you believe that it was all fine so that you would <laughs> continue on from this point forward. There you go. Yeah. And why should we assume that our minds are equipped to accurately perceive and understand it? Again, the universe can just change it. Right. If it wants to. Right. Uh, so these are some huge assumptions. No underlying that, principle. That, that science and, in fact, the uh, naturalistic position, you know, can't uh, right. can't explain. In fact, he says, in contrast to the this atheistic worldview, um, the Christian worldview provides a firm foundation for science, right? If the universe is the creation of a personal God whose mind is supremely rational and orderly, and if our minds... Uh, are designed and equipped by God to discover truths about the natural world, right? Because he put us in there that we would be, you know, fruitful and multiply and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, then it makes perfect sense to pursue science. And uh, we have an explanation for why science has been so successful. Well, because God created the world and he created us in the world. Right. right? Yep. And we see that in his word. Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, you know, he uh, come look at the ant, oh, sluggard, and, and see what he does. Uh, you know, this, this is a continuing process that you can make uh, both um, uh, uh, accurate predictions of what will happen, what has happened, and also um, how you can apply it in other fields as well. Moreover, the Christian worldview also provides the moral framework within which science can flourish and promote the common good. Again, the... Um, um, I'm sure philosophers have made this, and I um, am, am drawing blanks on, on who to, to accurately cite, but um, the, the 
the um, the the era of science uh, uh, only comes about because of uh, believers of 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 Christianity of, of being cemented within the societal framework mm-hmm. and then going out and saying, well, what's God's world like? Yeah. Let's, let's learn about it. And so even, even um, advancements within like, MRIs and, and uh, you know, the, 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 um, the uh, mapping of, uh, of DNA, um, all, all those things are also done um, um, or lead to people uh, believing in uh, an ordered, mind producing uh, that type of information. Yeah. Or at least assuming that it's orderly. Right. right? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not sure that Watson and Crick believed in an orderly mind, but clearly they assumed that it was an orderly process. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so the often repeated charge that Christianity is anti-science could be more mistaken. When we think more deeply about the kind of worldview in which science rests, we can see that the very opposite of true is true. Science itself depends on God. It depends on that worldview and it's how uh, we got to where we're at, and now we're throwing rocks at the people that we're standing on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he, he says that he would contend that the more we learn about the natural universe, and especially our small corner of it, the more evidence we'll find about the biblical worldview. For example, he says that we've learned from the laws of thermodynamics that the universe hasn't always existed. Nope. Right? If the past were infinite, the universe would have completely run down by now. Right? right. So the universe must have had, he tells us, uh, a first moment of existence. So either it simply popped into existence for no reason, with no explanation, or it was brought into existence by some transcendent cause. Right. We've also learned that the universe as a whole, uh, and our own solar system in particular, appears to be fine-tuned in numerous ways to support the existence of organic life. If the laws of nature had been even slightly different than what they are, no habitable planets or solar systems would ever have formed. Mm. In fact, the evidence indicates that our own solar system is fine-tuned not merely to support organic life, but to accommodate conscious organisms and to promote scientific investigations by those conscious organisms. Wow, that's amazing. So, so it's just, you know, you're, you're moving closer to what's kind of called the, uh, the, the Goldilocks zone. That's right. And, and not just, oh, we survive. It's, and we can know things and we continue on and we can pass along information. That information is accurate and people... Uh, don't blow up the planet so that we, you know, people have tried, but you yeah. know, the, the, there's, there's a common good that says, no, don't do that. That's, that's, that's incorrect. Yeah. So the odds of all this happening by sheer luck are so minuscule as to rule out chances as a serious explanation. So we call this the anthropic principle, yeah. right? Or the fine tune, fine tuning argument. So discoveries, he says, uh, in chemistry and biology also point to, uh, to the same direction as physics and astronomy. He tells us that ongoing research into the origins of life has only underscored how incredibly unlikely the origins of life has only, um, um, uh, you know, the first living cells arose by a combination of natural chemical processes and chance events, right? Um, There's a a book that I read called uh, Lost in the Math, How Mm. Beauty Leads uh, Physics Astray. Mm. And uh, I'm not going to try and um, uh, Sabine uh, Hassenfelder. I've really wretched my own death there. Um, But uh, she's not a believer. uh, But I I read her book when we were doing uh, Mitch Stokes' book. And she says, like, all these scientists are trying to explain um, uh, quantum physics in uh, looking for a beautiful... Uh, 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 you know equations because 
well, we've seen beautiful equations before, and so we really want to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we want to find that that thing that's simple. E equals mc squared. That's so, so simple. We're, so we're discriminating against the ugly equations. No ugly equations here. Her, her, her point that she argues in the book is, why are we doing that? Right, what, what, right. who, who cares about beautiful, simple equations? Why would you ever assume, especially with something so bizarre as quantum physics, that we'll find an answer like that? Yeah. So it's just, again, that... that um, the scientists who are atheistic in, in multitude, uh, they're wanting to find things that are simple, that are uh, beautiful, that yeah. have have, have yeah. these weird, it's why would you even works, have that? Right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he tells us that, for instance, the origin of DNA is particularly perplexing for atheists, right? Because DNA carries complex coded information analogous to, for instance, computer software. And so information can, as we know, only be generated by intelligent sources, uh, not by mindless natural processes. And so how do we get the software without a program? Yeah. Well, it's other software. Right. Well, then it's other software and then it's other software. And then that software just blinked into it. Right. It's software all the way down. <laughs> right. it, it's along the turtles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the software that runs the turtles. Yeah. So to be clear, uh, I'm not trying to make a, a scientific argument. Uh, Anderson says that he's not trying to make this a, a scientific case for Christianity here. It's that he has a more muscle. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, To point out that when it comes to uh, scientific arguments, there are always two sides to the debate, and we ought to give a fair hearing to both sides. Mm. No less importantly, we must appreciate the crucial role that worldview plays in the way we approach science. Our worldview inevitably influences how we interpret evidence and evaluate theories. So if I'm a scientist, I believe that this uh, world uh, um, blinked into existence at some uh, point in time, uh, and uh, what's happening today might not be the case today. Well, then, oh, man, I'm going to have to prove uh, the gravitational field again uh, because, you know, I woke up. That's right. My, my so chemicals might be different tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I have to do this all over again. Uh, so it's naive to think that any worldview can be proven or disproven by science alone. Right. And so he says atheists have promoted a narrative of conflict between science and belief in God. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he says the conflict is more imagined than real. Indeed, at the deepest level, the worldview level, the opposite is true. The real conflict lies between science and disbelief in God, right? Atheistic worldviews can't account for why science is reasonable and successful because they can't uh, provide any rational justification, he tells us, for the foundational assumptions of science, which we have just seen. Yeah, but I can use them. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. (laughs) And know them. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. Ironically, then, he tells us that atheistic scientists... Uh, have to live by oh faith oh uh, and and not just faith not just right. trust but blind faith that's right blind trust in nothing that's I mean, right in in, yeah. in nothing coming about yeah and, yeah and faith and faith all. yeah, yeah. Uh, he says or to put it more you know provocatively <laughs> uh, they're tactically uh, tacitly rather depending on a radically different worldview right what worldview are dependent on well they're dependent on a God centered worldview. So whenever they engage in scientific work, that's what they're dependent they're on. They're stealing from us, and that's we right. demand payment. That's right. Every time it's, they need to cite it in their sources and give us uh, 10%. <laughs> so then uh, he finishes up this chapter by saying, does God really need to be proven? Can't right. we just exist? I mean, sure, this is a, an important question, I guess. It would revolutionize our idea if we all came to an agreement that God exists and he created us and uh, you know, he provided a, a, a way for us to uh, 
to to think and act that uh, conforms to his ways. But is it does it really need to be proven? Right, right. So he says, uh, I hope by now I've been able to persuade you that there are excellent reasons to believe in a transcendent personal God who created the, and sustained the universe. Again, that there are reasons. Why yeah. should I believe Christianity? There are <clears throat> reasons, which harking back to the first couple chapters was um, his his intended goal in, in there is not to argue for, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, that there are there are issues and we're resolving them, but it's just that there are, are reasons. Yeah, it's reasons. So he says, uh, I've argued that we need to acknowledge the reality of God in order to make sense of various things we take for granted and depend on every day. Existence, values, morality, reason, mind, and science. A- anything else is just completely independent. Yeah. <laughs> Except that's pretty much everything. That's right. <laughs> and we, we could even make the, the case for the, the, <clears throat> the other things that we haven't talked about. But it's worth, Non-existence. Worth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth asking whether any of the arguments uh, that he's given are actually necessary, that they need to be. Do we really need arguments like these as a basis for belief in God? Well, you know, actually, he's going to say no. All right, put the book away. <laughs> We're, done. Right. We're, We're done. We're done. Yeah, why did you write the book then, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, indeed, from a Christian perspective, that that would be quite a bad thing because it takes some serious intellectual effort and aptitude, he tells us, to understand, you know, all these various complicated arguments, mm-hmm. right? And so if we needed arguments, there may, you know, folks may be in trouble. Right? Right, <laughs> Little <yeah>. old me's, right? <laughs> yeah, he says Christianity isn't just for the intellectuals. It's for everyone. Uh, you don't need to be, a, you know, a black belt in philosophical jujitsu, right, to know that God exists. He says, on the contrary, the Bible teaches that the existence of a personal creator is plainly evident to everyone uh, from his creation, Right. God's fingerprints, he tells us, are everywhere. Right. Right. And so every single element of the universe, from the magnificent spiraling galaxies to the uh, tiniest snowflake, offers evidence of its divine authorship. Right. Right. So if the creator's existence is so evident, why are there atheists? And why do religious people have disagreements about God? Good question. Very good. Right. Again, Christianity has its answer. Okay. Good. Although everyone knows some basic truths about God through his creation, we suppress this knowledge because we don't like those truths. So we, we even so we suppress the knowledge of God, right? We we close our eyes to the you know, how God is revealed all throughout creation. Right. 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 Admittedly that sounds uh, perverse uh, on the face of it. Why would anyone not want to know the truth about God? The problem is not that we don't want to the truth, but rather we don't want that truth. Oh, okay. We want our own truth. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We want the truth to be something else. The right. Christian view is that our natural fallen state, our ambitions and desires are corrupted so that we were profoundly self-centered rather than God-centered. Right. So that's what we talked about earlier. <laughs> right. right. So th- th- yeah. this is, this is uh, why bent. we explained, uh, yeah, why we explained what Christianity is in a nutshell. <clears throat> yeah. And so he tells us from a Christian perspective, if someone has trouble <laughs> believing God, then the problem is internal rather than external and looking at the world, right? He says unbelief isn't due to a shortage of available evidence or reasons. It's not that belief in God doesn't make sense, but on the contrary, as he has attempted to show here, only belief in God makes sense in the end, right? right? When atheists and agnostics live as though the universe is rational, right, or orderly, you know, as though there are objective moral standards, as though their fellow humans have, you know, real dignity and worth, and as though their own lives have genuine significance. He says they betray their debt 
to a biblical worldview and unwittingly uh, confirm their dependence on God. Right. Right. In other words, <clears throat> if you were consistent, you would have to say there are no, you know, from an atheistic, uh, naturalistic worldview, there are no moral standards, right? You know, a rock is just a rock. Actions just happen. Lions eat antelopes. I mean, it's just the way things are. There's no, you know, people kill people. That's just what happens, right? right? There's no moral right or wrong uh, from, from that particular spectrum, right? If you were consistent, there would be no dignity and worth in a person. They're just another object in the universe, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, uh, if, you know, if you are consistent, you would suggest that your life really doesn't have any significance, right? You're going to, you live, you die, and that's it. And, you know, probably a million years from now, you know, nobody will <laughs> you <know>. right. <laughs> even remember you, right? <laughs> so enjoy that. Enjoy that. Thought. That's right. <laughs> so they, by holding to these things, though, they, as he says here, he's, he's suggesting they unwittingly confirm that they're dependent on God. Right. Their, their biblical worldview is what uh, they are indebted to. Right. So he goes on to say then, uh, in closing here, that uh, those who claim to be honest skeptics need to apply an honest skepticism to their own hearts, to their own thinking. As the Bible warns, the heart is deceitful above all things. So if the biblical Christian God is true and uh, what he's revealed in his word is accurate, uh, we, we should uh, be mindful of, of uh, the things that... Uh, that um, bring us joy outside of, of who he is. One of the central tenets of Christ, the Christian worldview is that God is there, and he's explained why we should believe that is true. But Christianity is much more than belief in God. It proclaims that God has revealed himself not only in orderliness of the universe, in the natural universe, and in the human conscience, but also in the unique book, the Bible, mm. and in the unique person, Jesus Christ. And why should anyone believe those other things? And that's a question We'll cover in the next one. All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, we'll hit uh, chapter five. Uh, God is not silent. He, he likes to talk. <laughs> and sometimes we like to be teenagers and stick our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, um, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed um, uh, what we've covered so far and um, uh, continue uh, liking the book. And some of the concepts there um, might, might have been a little difficult. Again, we break up uh, this uh, entire episode into um, – uh, snippet sizes on our YouTube page. So you can uh, head over there and you can even, you know, uh, close your computer case or uh, turn your monitor around and just hear us uh, like you usually do, uh, or you can watch us too. And so uh, sometimes we put little graphics up on the screen of uh, this is the book we're talking about or a uh, little funny clip. So um, hopefully uh, you'll be back with us for chapter five as uh, we're starting to close out our, um, our book by James Anderson. Why should I believe Christianity? See you next time.